listening to the Higher Ed Podcast. We uncover the future of higher education, current trends, insights from the sector's brightest, and actionable advice for leaders and executives. Creating impactful universities, well-branded colleges, and best-in-class student experiences. Join us as we redefine the sector one episode at a time. Welcome back to another episode of the Higher Ed Podcast. I'm your host, Kamar Dijarnett, flying solo again today. Um, got a dynamic guest uh, this morning, uh, Dr. Isis Acevega. And I did my best with that one. Uh, I didn't want to butcher it, but um, how are you today? I'm so happy to be here, Kamar. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. It's a pleasure. Could you just maybe start off by just giving our um, audience you know, a brief introduction of kind of you and what you've been doing, how you got into this career and how passionate you are about it, some of your experiences? Um, happily. Um, so uh, again, Isis Arcevega and my current role is Vice President of Academic Affairs at Valencia College in Central Florida. I've been here for a couple of years. And so academic affairs includes everything from curriculum and workforce programs um, to supporting faculty with teaching and and a host of other things that come with with being a part of of the president's team, as it were. Uh, Prior to that, I was at Florida International University in Miami, where I um, also um, supported faculty with teaching and, and led a number of um, university-wide initiatives around um, introductory or gateway courses, uh, about teaching evaluation. Uh, and um, before that, um, I was at the University of Miami um, teaching. I taught writing for several years, and I love um, teaching freshman writing, I, I, first-year student writing. I, I miss it every day. Um, so that's I think that's a little quick snapshot, Kamar. Um, I thought I would teach forever, and so my uh, pivot to administration I thought would never last. Um, I had no idea that I would feel uh, a purpose uh, in a different way. I don't have my students in front of me every day, but I um, moved into uh, increasing leadership roles in academic affairs. I'm seeing that the faculty that I support and the decisions and processes and programs that I can help create reach an even greater number of students than I could ever reach by myself in the classroom. Um, and, and that's kind of what I'm about, Come on, I really um, you know, I feel it, it, the, the layers of privilege that have characterized my life, um, you know, from the very beginning, I feel a deep sense of, of responsibility to pay it forward. And so I do my work. Uh, it, my work is my service. It fills me as a human. It is not separate from my life. It is a key part of my life. Um, and, you know, what, what drives me is my commitment to, to justice, to equity. Uh, and uh, I, I feel grateful for the opportunity to do this work every day. Oh, that's awesome. That's outstanding. I um may have to lean on you a little bit offline. I've been um a couple books I I wanted to write and um I, I need a ghostwriter. I, I I haven't, you know, been able to, you know, figure out how to do it myself, but I've got at least an idea for two or three. Um but that but that's you know for another time. Um it, it's really interesting segue though. You talk about, you know, how you've been supporting you know, at uh, University of Miami and some of the other institutions. And I think, you know, that support role is is very important. But I could imagine faculty needing support, you know, with this pandemic. It's almost like we've had kind of a a double pandemic, right? Like a pandemic, you know, with the health issues and, you know, COVID. But then 
you know, uh, I guess social injustice and social inequities have become come to the forefront as well. So maybe a little bit of how you've been able to, you know, support, you know, faculty through, you know, the, the health pandemic and then maybe transition into the social part, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Um, and so I, I would say that the good news, if there is a silver lining in both of those, um, is that the work that I was doing before the pandemic really um, um, was really uh, was laying groundwork, even though we didn't know what we were laying groundwork for. And certainly we weren't laying groundwork for a pandemic. And I'll share a couple of examples um, where, um, again, where I work now is at Valencia College, and I have only been here two years. But long before I got here, Valencia had made a commitment to being a learning-centered college and had tons of preparation with and for faculty. So faculty here are teaching and learning leaders and an online strategy was developed. And so uh, Valencia had a number of faculty who were very, very, very seasoned in online teaching and um, really uh, a comprehensive set of professional development opportunities for faculty. So when the when the pandemic uh, came to us, um, we had a lot of people with expertise who could help all of those other faculty who had never taught online. Um, and it was a, an enormous undertaking. It was um, grueling work. And, and um, my team and our faculty did extraordinary work. Um, but also they were building on this great foundation. And it was um, I, I was in awe of them and filled with a lot of pride. Um, at, at the same time, um, our team, you know, one of the reasons I came to Valencia was to to work, um, work on equity, equity at all levels, including equity minded teaching. And so here also, the team was building capacity, partnering with uh, parts of our college, like our Peace and Justice Institute. And so we were not starting from scratch in either in either case. Um, certainly, like most colleges, we have reaffirmed our commitment to teaching and reaffirmed our commitment to equity-minded practice and, and done a, even more during and through the pandemic. Um, and uh, again, building on work and, and not starting from scratch um, made a really big difference. And, and we've made enormous institutional commitments um, to all of that. Yeah. Sure. No, it's, it's interesting because, um, you know, I'd say over the last, you know, 12 months, maybe 18, I've, I've heard DEI, right, diversity, equity, and inclusion more than I ever had in all of the previous months of my existence or years of my existence, right? And I've got a, you know, close friend that, that works in charter schools in um, Jersey. And, you know, one of the things that he's always talking to is, equity, you know, equity, equity and equity board and, you know, their meetings on equity. So, so I, I guess first, what does that mean to you in a teaching and faculty, you know, standpoint or perspective? Um, it's a great question, Kamar. And, you know, often we say DEI and we forget that there are words there and that the words don't mean the same thing. Um, and so you know, I have spent a lot of time in my work um, in language and in terms and in describing my terms. Um, I, I think it's important that the, the words matter and, and, and those constructs, each of them is a beautiful, rich construct. People have been studying multiculturalism and diversity and inclusion for decades and decades now, um, right? Some of the of the work that I turn to is is uh, not new work, um, and, and so I would say, um, you know, when we historically talked about diversity, we were talking about um, you know a, a representation, a mixed representation of identities, and and we were really thinking about access and kind of letting students into colleges who previously had not been um, invited into our colleges and universities. Um, the the narrative shifted to inclusion. 
um, to make sure that students felt that they were um, a, a welcomed part of those communities and were thriving there. What I really, really appreciate about the pivot to equity, um, even though, you know, it's it's uh, like any other term, it can get trendy and people can forget uh, what it really means. But what I appreciate about the term equity and the construct as, is that it points our direction, our eyes, our focus to outcomes. Um, it is not simply enough for our colleges and universities um, to, uh, to, to look at our demographics and to say, look how beautifully diverse we are or right. even to ask our students um, whether they feel included or to make the attempts to have them be included and have their voices heard. I think equity holds us to a higher level. It says, how are they succeeding? How are they performing? And are they performing at equal levels? Are we not seeing differences across race, ethnicity in particular? Um, and I, I wanna clarify to you that for today, I really am thinking of racial and ethnic diversity and equity in particular um, for lots of reasons. Uh, and so when we don't see those gaps, whether we call them achievement gaps or opportunity gaps, when we don't see the gaps, that's when we have achieved equity. I love that. I want to be held accountable and I want it to be about the outcomes and not about the intention. Got you. Got you. So, and, you know, correct, correct me if I'm wrong. So it's maybe one, you know, uh, a layman term version of it might be as simple as, okay, you look at your institution and you say, okay, diversity, are there different races and ethnicities here, right? And then next is, okay, do they, do these different races and ethnicities feel included? Are they able to get help? Are they able to join this fraternity or this establishment, right? Do they feel included in the institution? And then the next step would be okay. Now that there's you know different races and ethnicities, all everyone feels included. Now are all of the races and ethnicities experiencing the same outcomes? That's right. That's right. Okay. And I, I would the only um, addition I would make is that it extends to our colleagues too, our okay. employees, right? So our employees are they seeing the same opportunities for growth and development and promotion? Are they being compensated? Um, in the same ways and, and not seeing differences across race and ethnicity. Um, so, so even though I, I will focus on student outcomes, right, to, to, especially in the, con in the context of teaching that we're talking about, I, I want to also recognize um, that, that equity is, is an institution-wide imperative. And so right. the metrics that we look at are going to differ, right? And um, what we look at in terms of our hiring practices, for example, will be different than what we look at in the um, classroom. But you're right. exactly right, right? Equity takes um, our attention to the outcomes. Okay. So, so this oh, this always becomes, I guess, really interesting to me because I, I told you I got a close friend that works in charter school, and I got an aunt that's really, you know, kind of passionate about it. And you know, I, we, her and I have had conversations, and I said, well, you know, with the Penn State, you know, really big university, but I'm an introvert. You know, so I, I guess some of these things I never really thought about to a certain degree. Right. I'm, you know, whatever I do, what I do. You know, my, my grandma always told me I had to be two or three times as better. You know, so that was just always, you know, kind of ingrained in me. Right. And I guess sometimes the question comes to me is, why does it matter? You know, like why, like, like, why is it, you know, when you talk about it from a student standpoint, okay, but then even from a staff standpoint, it's like, okay, you know, why does it matter? Why is it so important? What am I, what am I potentially missing? Yeah, um, I, I think that that's such a, a, a beautiful, broad question. 
um, you know, for the sake of time, I'm going to narrow down a little <laughs> bit, Kamar, right? Uh, and I, right, because I, I could go on for far too right. long. Um, but I, I'd like to narrow that down to why supporting faculty with equity-minded teaching matters in particular, right? Just to 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 have a bit of focus. Um, well, I, I would say three reasons just for today. Um, first, I would say because faculty uh, play a critical role in in both student learning and in success and their retention and their progression. Um, so, so learning might seem so obvious that we don't need to state it, um, but it's really important to me when I talk about equity um, that I mean um, equity and learning as well. If students leave our institutions in higher numbers and we see equity in graduation rates, but those credentials, those degrees, certificates, if they don't come with learning, then they're no good. Then they're not going to change lives and they will not have been agents of equity. And so, you know, I underscore the fact that equity has to come with learning um, and more equitable outcomes have to come with um, more or constant um, learning. There is no lowering the bar that that in fact is counter, runs counter to the goals of equity. Um, For a really long time, colleges and universities were thinking about retention and graduation rates and they were trying everything outside of the classroom, focusing on advising, mm-hmm. on engagement, involvement, right? And uh, what we are increasingly coming to understand is that um, we can hope that our students reach out to advisors. We can really hope that they join um, clubs and organizations and, and do undergraduate research and all of this awesome stuff outside of the classroom. Um, but at the same time, they may not. Um, our only institutional representatives with whom students have frequent contact is our faculty. And so not to engage faculty in student success, um, I would argue, is a, is a missed opportunity and is irresponsible, really. Um, so um, when we're thinking about why advancing equity and why uh, via teaching and via faculty, um, I would say it's because faculty are crucial to learning and success. The, the second reason I would say um, is that um, faculty are responsible for two of the areas that can make the most significant difference for equity. Those are curriculum and pedagogy. So if our students come to our classrooms, engage with their instructional materials, assignments, readings, and they see no one who looks like them, they see no one whose identities resemble theirs, then even if the message, uh, even if no one talks about it, or even if uh, students don't notice it, there's, there's this uh, persisting sense that their identities are less worthy of academic study. Um, that that different perspectives are less valid. Uh, and because you're missing out on the really awesome validating experience of a student saying, oh my goodness, right? That's someone who shares one of my identities. We can study them. We are equally important. Um, in the classroom, uh, instructional practices around transparency, um, around um, active learning and around um, having students learn from one another and thereby saying, you have expertise as a student. It isn't just that the expertise lives in the books or in the faculty member, but that when you come to this classroom, your lived experiences, the experiences of your people, of your family, of your community, they are assets. You are validated in a way that helps you to be successful as a student. So the fact that faculty are the ones teaching and are the ones making curricular decisions means that faculty are really key agents of equity in our institutions. I think that the third reason that I that I would su- suggest or argue that equity-minded teaching matters um, is that the inequities in our student performance, they persist. Kamar, they, they have persisted for so long. Um, and unless we take this step of empowering our key agents, our faculty, um, I would I would suggest that we are being complicit in that perpetual state of educational inequity. And that's frankly not something I'm comfortable with. And 
and not something I think our uh, you know, most faculty and, and administrators and staff. Um, that's not why we came to do this work, to perpetuate inequity. So uh, I think it presents us with a really, really rich and exciting opportunity to really make some change. Yeah, I think those are fair points. I, I, I just, just as, as you were talking through that, I do remember when I went to Penn State main campus, I didn't see an instructor that looked like me. And, you know, I, I think just thinking of that, um, I was like, wow, like I'm trying to run through, you know, my memory may not be what it used to be, but I'm like, man, I really don't remember seeing one. And then, I, you know, I transitioned it to my career. And when I got into higher education, um, transitioned from the mortgage business. And I remember I saw um, there was a VP of admissions and he was of Indian descent. And, you know, that was the first person that even had, you know, any resemblance to me. Right. And I really took to him. And even though I had a mentor in the space and he was a Penn State graduate and he always kind of claimed me as like, you know, his apprentice, the one that really got me to take off was um, a man by the name of Shabu Thomas. You know, he was but he was of Indian descent, very charismatic, sharp dresser. You know, I really, you know, just patterned a lot after him. And maybe about two or three months after that, I saw the first. director of admissions that look like me. And I remember my thought was they exist. Like there's, there's a such thing. And like, from that moment, I wanted to be a director of admissions. So I, I did actually can kind of go back and say, I actually experienced it. Like I literally never thought about it until I saw him, you know, and he also took me under the, the wing and mentored me. Great questions, Kamar. Um, let me, I want to jaunt on that last question. Um, first, I would say you're you're right. It's really easy to to kind of from the outside jump to conclusions about which faculty care or why they care, um, why they are engaging in in equity minded teaching or trying to, or why they're not. Um, I, I would I would advise all of us um, maybe not to do that, right? To kind of suspend judgment or hypotheses and our assumptions, right? And instead, um, give faculty a lot of grace. And start from the place where I hope that that everybody would we would want them to start with us, which is assuming that we um, that we do care and that we are willing to put in the time. Um, I, I would say one of the the the, the primary challenges um, with everything related to teaching and college faculty is that most college faculty um, don't have formal training in teaching. Um, this is this is a part of our system. It, it isn't about one institution or another institution. It's about graduate education, and it's about how we hire. We tend to hire uh, based on research or potential for research. Um, And in graduate programs, we emphasize disciplinary knowledge at a very high and deep level, but we don't prioritize um, teaching. It's changing a little, and right, there are some great uh, promising practices, but as a whole, we really still focus on physics, uh, you know, doctoral students studying physics, and maybe taking a couple of workshops about teaching before they become a TA. Um, so, so our capacity in, in teaching is, is uh, somewhat limited. And, and then you add this extra layer of, uh, of uh, teaching for equity, which most people don't know about, right? It wasn't part of our preparation. Um, our colleges and universities, um, even the ones that have centers for teaching, 
many of our colleagues who, who work there, the faculty developers or the instructional designers, uh, most of them, I would say, did uh, have not had formal preparation in equity-minded teaching. So, so really the capacity in our colleges and universities, I would say, um, is a primary challenge. Um, but obviously one that we can, uh, we, we, we don't, that isn't, um, isn't permanent, right? I, I have seen my colleagues uh, build on their knowledge around equity-minded practice, engage the research and, and learn with faculty. Um, I, I think that's sometimes what we forget. We want to know it all before we can do the training or the workshop or the support for faculty. Um, in fact, I, I would encourage us to bring faculty uh, and partner with them from the very beginning and learn together. Um, almost everything that I learned about teaching and learning, almost everything that I learned about equity-minded practice, I learned it with faculty, with colleagues in reading circles, um, as much from what they did in their classrooms as then from what I was gathering from the research. Uh, so uh, I would say our capacity then is one of the challenges, but a really great opportunity to be humble and to learn in, in partnership with faculty. Um, I, I wanna say a couple of other challenges, Kamar, one of them is that, you know, this isn't like every other teaching practice. This isn't like talking to faculty about active learning or course design um, or the use of a clicker or a new technology. Um, when you talk about equity and racial equity in particular, many of us become uncomfortable, right? Many of us have not had opportunities to talk about race, racism, uh, you know, wh what that means in the context of our teaching and so what happens is, is, is our defenses come up, of course, and we become defensive um, and sometimes distance ourselves from the work because of the discomfort that it can elicit. Um, and so I would say the challenge there is, uh, or for us, uh, is, to, is to, to hold ourselves to a, a really, really high level of safety and care for our faculty, right? We need to make sure faculty feel safe enough to think about this work and to do it with us. Um, they need to feel that we are there in, in, in partnership with them and not to judge them, certainly not to presume that they've been doing anything intentionally. Uh, and, and that's risky, right? We can become self-righteous, like, why aren't you here yet? Um, and, and that is to our detriment, I would say. Um, maybe the third challenge, Kamar, is that like everywhere else in our life, we want to click something and open an app and have it work. Um, and there is no quick fix for equity-minded teaching. There is no, I can't give you 10 top tips that you go into your class and suddenly your student's performance will become equitable. That, that, that is, um, you know, uh, we, we might find some if we Googled it, but, but uh, that's not how it works, right? It requires a level of commitment, of personal reflection on our own um, lived experiences and biases um, that came to us via our, our upbringing. Uh, and then to figure out in the context of our institutions for our students and for our discipline, what's gonna make the biggest difference and then to make it better every time. And that is a long-term commitment. Uh, and so, so, so those are the three challenges that come to me. Yeah, I can't think of a better place to end it than right there. And um, when you were kind of covering that, it's interesting because I, re I worked with an organization that was really focused on human capital and, and developing us. And I remember one of the classes we had was uh, like a, a business acumen and uh, emotional intelligence class. And a lot of people struggled in it. And I remember myself and another colleague, we were like, man, you know, this is easy. You know, like, this is just, you know, people stuff. And, you know, she was like, well, why does everybody think it's so hard? I said, well, you got to realize, you know, when you go from, you know, traditional education and even through college, 
but especially traditional education, it's it's not based on EQ, right? It's, it's based on technicals, it's based on IQ. So when you take people that have been learning IQ for so much and then you switch them to EQ, it can become extremely challenging. And I notice people getting uncomfortable in that space. So imagine how much more is magnified when you take people that haven't been educated in DEI, you know, DEI and then all of a sudden you transition and start trying to expose them to it and educate them on it. Yeah, there's going to be extreme uncomfortability, uh, misunderstanding, um, and, and so many different things because it's something that the people aren't conditioned to and not accustomed to learning. So I, I think you really hit on a poignant you know, uh, uh, aspect of that, which means there's going to have to be some patience, right? Um, and, you know, we're going to have to start maybe including it early and early and earlier for people to really start to process this, inculcate it, and really be able to um, understand it and put it in practice. Is there anywhere that our audience could reach you? Instagram, LinkedIn, anything like that? Thanks, Kamar. Um, I, I am only on LinkedIn right now, right? And, and uh, uh, I, I imagine venturing into other social media, but for right now, um, it has, has served my purpose as well. Um, so I, I am accessible and um, have uh, take a lot of pride in expanding my network. And so if anyone would like to, to learn more about supporting faculty with um, equity-minded um, teaching, I would be happily serve as a resource. Really appreciate you. Extraordinary uh, episode. Really excited. I might have to talk to you offline about actually doing a podcast. I mean, your skill here is awesome. You'd be an awesome co-host. Uh, I appreciate your patience. And do you have any final thoughts for the audience? Thank you, Kamar. That's very kind. Um, I, I would say that, I, that because we ended on challenges, I, I don't want to miss the opportunity to say there are so many opportunities um, right now, right, our institutions are paying more attention to equity than perhaps uh, in, in most times in history, certainly. And so that heightened interest and attention, um, it's a key opportunity to move this work forward. Um, we have access to data like never before. And so looking at equity gaps and um, where there's room for change is, is more feasible for us. And then a number of resources. Um, the University of uh, Southern California has the Center for Urban Education, um, the uh, MOOCs have been developed on equity-minded teaching, books like Zaretta Hammond's Culturally Responsive Teaching and the Brain, um, just to, to list a few. So um, it is an opportune time to support faculty with equity-minded teaching. Um, and, and I would invite all of us to, to take on that challenge. Absolutely. We'll save the rest for part two. Uh, my daughter is not giving me any more time and I appreciate, I appreciate your patience. Have a great day. <laughs> You too, Kamar. Thank She's you. She's waving to you. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Higher Ed Podcast. This episode was brought to you in part by Engine Systems and Chief Digital Marketers. For more information on topics discussed, you can visit engine.systems or chiefdigitalmarketers.com. Join us next week and every week after for more innovative and actionable advice.